Hello and welcome to Access All Areas with Dermot and Felicity. We're back after a short break over the Christmas holiday, but now we're back with a bang for episode 12, Ableism Hasn't Gone Away. I'm my way actor, Dermot Devlin, and with me always is the chronically fabulous Felicity McKee. And this week we're going to be covering a range of different topics such as recent controversy from actor Lawrence Fox, as well as a Cobra Kai episode, and something which you've spoken about before on national television, which is disability hate online, and which is something that has definitely struck very close to home this week, and just recently in general. So unfortunately, as we said, that's what we mean by the title, ableism hasn't gone away. So now we're just going to play in the introduction, and we will see you now in a few short minutes. This episode contains discussions of ableism as well as references to online abuse in which some of it will be quoted verbatim. This may be upsetting to some listeners, so discretion is advised. This episode contains discussions of ableism as well as references to online abuse in which some of it will be quoted verbatim. This may be upsetting to some listeners, so discretion is advised. So welcome back. And the first topic we're covering today is the recent controversy to do with Lawrence Fox. And this is a new controversy, not one of the many controversies that he has been involved in previously. But quite recently, he tweeted out an image of himself with a mask exemption lanyard along with a printed out version of the government uh, I am exempt from wearing a face covering. Interestingly, he paid £7 for this on Amazon, but the actual printed option is free and on the government website. Uh, so he spent £7 to to look a bit of an idiot on the internet. But obviously, we're going to do a disclaimer at the start of this. We don't know anything about... Um, Lawrence Fox's uh, medical history. We do not know whether or not he defines as disabled. And obviously, when it comes to people who are mask exempt, it is generally better to give them the benefit of the doubt, even though there have been some quite well publicized examples of people who are appropriating this accessibility tool. But in the case of Lawrence Fox, he tweeted out a tweet in which he stated, after a long period of consultation with myself, an extended review period and proper due diligence conducted with myself, I've received the badge that I ordered from Amazon. Thank you for being there for me. Hashtag anxiety. Um, and I think what's really, really upset me about this is he has a long history of mocking uh, the efficacy of face masks and the science isn't with him on this uh, despite despite what he's saying. So for example, um, there's a preprint study that was posted in August. So at that point it wasn't peer reviewed. It found that weekly increases in per capita mortality were four times lower in places where masks were the norm or recommended by the government compared with other regions. The researchers looked at 200 countries, including Mongolia, which adopted mask use in January and as of May had recorded no deaths to COVID-19. Another study looked at the effects of US state government mandates for mask use in April and May and researchers estimated that those reduced the growth of COVID-19 
cases by up to two percentage points per day, they cautiously suggested that mandates might have averted as many as 450,000 cases after controlling for other mitigating measures such as social distancing. So like masks have been shown to be useful. And the thing is, even if they weren't, even if the science wasn't 100%, there is no harm in wearing a mask and a mask helps us as we find out it helps not only to protect others from you but you know it's it, it's a sign of being selfless and caring to others in the community and I and I think what's really upsetting is the fact that this is a person who has mocked masks mocked the use of masks has been very vocal and anti-mask and instead of just, you know, continuing to be vocal about this or maybe refusing to wear a mask and insisting that they get into the shop without a mask, they have chosen to appropriate an accessibility tool, which many people with an invisibility dis invisible disability depend on, and which many people are already concerned about using and wearing because of people like Lawrence Fox, who have been doing this anti-mask rhetoric and suggesting that people with an invisible disability are wrong and that they can wear masks and um, that they have no excuses, even though that the government website is clear that children under the age of 11 um, are not recommended to use face coverings and that it's again for children under the age of three for health and safety reasons, people who can't put them on, who um, wear or remove a face covering because of a physical or mental illness um, or disability or putting them on or wearing or removing a face covering could cause severe distress. And again, this distress could be emotional, it could be physical, um, if they're speaking to or providing assistance to someone who relies on lip reading to avoid harm or injury, the risk of harm or injury to yourself or others. So this would, if it would uh, negatively impact on your ability to exercise or participate in strenuous activity. You know, there are reasons autistic people are exempt. There's lots of medical reasons. So like that is a nonsense that there aren't medical reasons. And it, it's just, it's actions like this that make it even more difficult for those who have an invisible disability who are already experiencing anxiety to go out um, with a lanyard. And uh, some people don't feel comfortable wearing these lanyards even before uh, the pandemic, even though they were a useful tool. But there's people who are now even more afraid because they have been confronted in the street over it. And I've had friends who have been verbally assaulted in the street over their use of the lanyard when they are medically exempt. But I think the final like uh, insult to the whole thing was the hashtag anxiety to mock the idea that people with anxiety um, might have issues with masks because anxiety can be very debilitating. It can involve quite physical symptoms. And I think people don't realize this because a lot of people just go, oh, I'm a wee bit anxious today. And they don't understand what it's like to actually live with chronic and ongoing anxiety. Um, and so there's just, there's so many layers to this and so many reasons why it's really problematic. Um, but I think what just gets me is the fact that they're appropriating a tool that is essential for the disabled community. And by doing it, it puts other people at risk. That's, that's um, Lawrence has a capacity up there and that's like it's well known of anybody. Like I don't follow myself, but you know, obviously you can help to see some of the tweets and the angry quotes directed at him. But he does have a history of doing this because what he, what he is doing now is using this tool 
having the strength to take away the argument for people who have uh, invisible disabilities so that there is a distrust there. There is a sort of a target for non-disabled people to blame society on, blame COVID on, stuff like that there. You know, it gives them a direction where to put their hate or put their, put their own frustration toward. But if you have looked at how what I feel, you know, this is something that he does quite commonly, not just toward the disabled community itself, you know, but he's very anti uh, black life matter because he, he's always talking about white life matter and stuff like that. He's very transphobic. Like he covers a lot of issues that, um, uh, one of the things you said to me earlier, especially was that he would, he sometimes like to describe himself as quite liberal. But as I said, I yet to see anything that liberal was on a tweet. Now, that's not to say that liberalism is always right. You know, I put my hand up and say, like, sometimes it does have a issue, but, you know, that's, 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 a different, that's a different argument altogether. But I think even more sometimes you just have to open your eyes a little bit. However, he's using that in this case, you know, to put his own, um, I'll not say right views across, but put them slightly more right than that is socially uncomfortable and socially right for many, many people, you know, across the UK and Europe. And this is something that needs to be highlighted and it needs to show that this is an argument. This is something that he is constructively doing. It's not an accident that he does the tweet without thinking. He has a structure behind it because one of the things that we talked about earlier, you know, before we recorded, he has set up his own uh, party. And um, just like Nigel said, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, he's he planting the seats now so that he will become a bigger power in another 10 years' time and he can bring his blind followers with him. Yeah, so th- this was, it was a political stunt. And so when I saw it, I debated whether or not to retweet it. And I chose not to retweet it for, well, two or three-ish sort of reasons. One, because it um, increases uh, the attention given to his tweet because of the algorithm. But two, he has a history of targeting people who tweet their dissent against what he is saying. And he will retweet or he will screenshot and send it to his followers and send harassment to people. And most of the people who were um, commenting, many of them were disabled people themselves. And so what he does is he enjoys the attention that his tweets get. He enjoys causing controversy. And then he sends that, um, that basically it's, it's a Twitter mob after that person. Um, so like, I do believe there was uh, issues when it came to uh, a member of the LGBT community and um, threats to sue them because of what he had said on Twitter as well. So I'm just double checking, um, double checking here. Um, yeah, because he, um, he accused uh, BBC correspondent uh, ben Hunt, uh, well, he accused him of all sorts, but basically after he accused him of this, he received racist and homophobic abuse. So what he did was he actively targeted this person who then received this abuse. Um, and that that's one of the things. And you'll notice that some of the comments he got in regards to um, his tweet, he has been uh, directing his following after them and it's hateful it's not okay and what's interesting is that for someone who's very pro 
uh, free speech, he doesn't want people to criticize him, although he enjoys the attention it gives and stuff like this. But if you critique him, he will send his Twitter mob after you to silence you, um, which is ironic, uh, given his stance. But it's just the whole thing is just hateful. And I think it's the damage that it's doing to the disabled community as a whole. Um, and the fact that a lot of his opinions are not backed by science. And like, I, I don't like to do the whole thing of, oh, I have a master's in public health. I've read up on this. Masks are the thing that we need to be doing right now. But masks, social distancing, washing your hands, these are important. The evidence backs them. His is an opinion. The science is the facts. Um, well, as you say, science and information is not something that doesn't matter to these people at all because they get involved with um, something that's like it's gone out of parlor. You know, they get from their own bubble. Plus, as well as that, they, they get their information from obscure Facebook pages and Twitter accounts, as well as these random uh, YouTube accounts of people who really have no sort of informational background putting out their information. It's factual, and unfortunately, people do believe this. But this this happens all the time. You even have to look at the case of Brexit. You know, people were saying this won't happen, this won't happen, this won't happen, and now we're into uh, week three. And unfortunately, everything it, uh, the remainers have said it was going to happen has happened. Mm-hmm. And now what's happening is people that wanted to break away from Europe are actually blaming the remainers for this happening. Uh, even though we were spelling out them for the last three or four years, if you do this, this is the consequences. Yeah, and that just not, it won't happen. So, yeah, and I think um, a lot of people don't realize. So there were a lot of maybe. Um, I mean, we are going slightly off topic here, but um, for example, I've run my own Etsy store. I'm talking to a lot of other um, small business owners, and. Um, there's one person I know who's uh, down south back home. They are a creator of pins. Their pins are sold all over the world. And uh, they're refusing to post their pins to Northern Ireland or to the UK. So apparently it's something to do with that. But it's too expensive to post to the UK. But they'll post to America and everywhere else in Europe. And there's other suppliers who are doing a 20% surcharge to post to Britain if you are importing goods because of the additional paperwork that's required. And it is forcing prices to go up for a lot of small businesses. It is forcing some small businesses to reevaluate whether or not they're viable. And I don't think people are realizing this impact. Um, but it, it's it's kind of going back to the idea that we are in echo chambers and a lot of the time when we're using Facebook or any social media, we forget that the algorithm, it's there to show you more of what you're liking and engaging with. So you'll see more and more and more of it. And so sometimes people uh, see what they think is fact. There may be, you know, because social media is fast and quick, they're not fact checking it or the information they're getting is telling them that actual fact-checking websites are incorrect or that all the experts are in on it and it's a big conspiracy. But, you know, I will tell you this, was it, I, I have read the studies. I, I know that the masks are one of our, our best defenses at the minute. The vaccine's great, coming out, but until we get people vaccinated, 
we need to be social distancing. People need to be wearing their mask and they need to be wearing them properly. So covering your nose, not hanging off your wrist, not hanging off your ear, not being used as some sort of headband, actually covering your face and mouth. And you need to be social distancing and adhering to one-way systems in supermarkets. And, um, you know, th this, this is fact-based. This is the best evidence. And even if you think it is a nonsense what harm is it doing you to wear that mask? Because when people sit there and go, oh, it's really impacting um, you know, my ability to communicate, I understand that. I have some hearing loss. I sometimes struggle to hear people when they're wearing masks. I also um, appreciate when people say, but I cannot read facial expressions and I'm struggling to understand intent. But as an autistic person, I live with that. Um, so you're just getting a better experience of what my life is all the time um, well, but this is temporary you know back, back to, uh, would be one of the points you said there that you know the, the mask is the best defense you know and then until everybody gets the vaccine now um i'm like here in northern ireland they reveal the vaccine out role for um northern ireland now uh, from uh, let's see if i can find it for you here but we'll also put a wee link to it down below uh, in the podcast, but uh, yes, the Northern Ireland Vaccine Program. Now, uh, some of you might be aware that I will be categorized in Group 6, but they have now revealed that Group 6 is going to be in Phase 2. So I will be among, uh, part of my group would be the, the vulnerable, which I will be part of the uh, 95,000 people that will be getting it from February and March. Now, where, where in that scale like where I belong, whether I'm getting a February or the other March, I'm not too sure. However, as you say, the mask is the best defense. So even when I get the vaccine, and remember that not the first vaccine, but the double vaccine, some people forget that unfortunately. But when I get the double vaccine, I'm like I'm going to be a little more relaxed when I get out more and, and maybe mix slightly more, but I'm not going to take unnecessary risk. And you know, I'm going to be going down, I'm going to be shortly distancing. I'm going to be wearing my mask. I'm going to go back up to my own home eventually as well, hopefully in March. But until everybody gets get the vaccine, which will take maybe a year, and it will take the cooperation of everybody, not just in the North here, but, you know, across the world, the UK, whatever. Until then, you know, you still have to keep the rhetoric up, or keep the mask up, keep washing your hands, keeping it clean, because even though I may be vaccinated, and I may be safe from maybe getting the full fact of, of what COVID-19 can do to my body, you know, the still of can be passed on to somebody else, you know, and I've been protecting myself for the last 313 days, so whenever I get the all clear, go, yeah, you're vaccinated now, I, I will not put somebody else at risk just because I'm okay. Yeah, and like I think, um, again, with the vaccine, obviously, we need to have a certain amount of the population to get vaccinated um, before we can say maybe that some of these measures can be reduced. So even if you are getting vaccinated, you still need to be washing your hands, social distancing and, and wearing masks to try and slow the spread. Um, we need people. We need people to be getting vaccinated. And one of the ways you can find out when you're going to get vaccinated is the Omni Calculator. Um, so you've got the Northern Ireland statistics, but this one is for the UK wide. Obviously, these are very rough estimates. But if you go onto the website, you can calculate and it will tell you um, how many million people are in front of you and sort of what month you can expect to be contacted in about the vaccine. And so it can bring some people a little bit of peace of mind 
if they're concerned about uh, the vaccine and when they're going to be getting it? Well, we'll probably link to that down below as well. So people can see the, the big log in and see when hopefully they'll get the vaccine. Um, roughly, you probably know better than me, but I think it's about 70% of the population need to be uh, protected before things can sort of start to quote unquote normalize slightly. Yeah, so it's seventy uh, percent and up, but I would much rather see it higher than seventy percent. Seventy percent would be definitely the lower end of this. Um, and you know, the thing is, uh, the vaccine's great; it's definitely worth getting. And um, a lot of people are concerned about all the different types of, of vaccines out there. Um, the vast majority of the the vaccines that I've gone and done um, actual reading up on and comparing the effic the efficacy of them is basically the same, and uh, there's not really a need to be all saying, "Oh, I'm going to wait for the Oxford one over Pfizer or anything like this." Just get vaccinated. The benefits outweigh any risks, and the risks are are quite rare. That um, you're better getting the vaccine than risk dying of COVID. Okay. I mean, I know from my own experience with the Compromison, you know, I would have got a few minor reactions, but not something that I would put at uh, live risk. And any reaction live, well, you know, to the uh, COVID, uh, COVID vaccines that haven't been too bad. Obviously, there's been one or two, but, you know, but, which is very sad in itself. But, you know, it's not, as you say, it's not outside the norm of any vaccines. Yeah, like I get maybe a sore arm with the flu, jab um you know I, I might have a slight headache but like you know the, the these things i would much rather have that than have the flu and possibly risk dying um you know and i think the problem is a lot of the fear-mongering and the scaremongering going on out there about the vaccine um like i've not seen anything that's actually been proven to be factual and the fact is these vaccines the only reason that they appear to have um, occurred very quickly is because a lot of the red tape that usually holds up vaccines has been removed. So a lot of the, you know, the bureaucratic administrative stuff has been removed, but all of the safety has been completed. All of the tests that need to be done have been done. The vaccines are safe. And yeah, I, 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 you know, that I can't say it more clear than that. The vaccines are safe, get vaccinated. Just to maybe bring it back to the, the core of the thing today, because we, we covered a wee bit now about vaccines and uh, COVID-19, but we'll go back to a bit of medievalism as well. So we were talking a little bit about uh, Lauren Fox earlier, you know, and how he could be uh, deemed up getting piled on to people who would maybe disagree with a lot of what he says. You know, I've sort of got a bit of you know, felicity on my private or personal side, uh, to the kind last night, I was, uh, I don't want to say victim, because I didn't feel like I was a victim, because uh, I'm a bit stronger now when it comes to bullies online. But I was targeted by a certain person. Right. As some of you might have seen on Twitter over the last few days, there's a new hashtag called Make Ableist Uncomfortable. So basically, it's just about talking about your disability, you know, whether it's a physical learning or whatever your disability might be. And, and in order to show people who are non-disabled that you know that we do we do live full lives and we don't need to be patronized or patted upon or sympathized because we're real people. 
hate crime, they found that Facebook was one of the most common places for disability hate crime. Um, and uh, people were saying things like disabled people were better off dead. Um, and uh, people were accused of lying because they had seen a photograph of this person on a holiday or just living their general life. Um, that some people who uh, blog about their experiences, be that on um, Twitter or on WordPress or other websites, were experiencing offensive comments and hate speech, much like um, you were experiencing. Um, and, you know, it's it's just, it's, it's one of those things that when you look down this, some of the hate crime that uh, is occurring online is occurring over face mask exemptions. And it links to the first story um that that we were talking about so one of the people who responded to the survey said that every single day i'm told that if i can't wear a mask i should stay indoors that covid should have got me that only those with underlying conditions die as if that justifies our higher death rates and another person um said they'd find a creative way to tackle hateful comments online they said that they'd been trolled on facebook groups mainly due to being exempt from wearing a face mask and other people think people like me who are unmasked should not be allowed to do what everyone else can do now. I have set up a self-help group in response rather than complain. Um, but the, the thing is, it goes back to the fact that um, a lot of this hate, which is being aimed at disabled people online and in real life, it's fundamentally wrong. And sometimes it's really subtle that people will see stuff and they don't realize that um, that like the term could be really offensive. So I've, I've previously spoken about, it's good to see someone like you out and about, which is oh, very yes. patronizing. Um, I too. Yeah, um, but I think, you know, people don't realize that your hate or your ableism can go from kind of subtle that you think you're being positive or you're telling someone that they're inspiring or um i had someone say oh i couldn't possibly live your life i think i would have killed myself at this point which is really sad that they feel like that it's horrifying um you know it's it's absolutely horrifying but it goes back to the fact that i think as a society disability is is presented as a tragedy as inherently negative as um you know, it, it, it's really problematic how disability is viewed and we need to have more depictions and representations of us just living our lives, living it fully and, and living our best lives. But the problem is when we do that, there is going to be the risk of people people coming in and being hateful. And, you know, when we were talking about this last night, it did occur to me that it might be nice to set up like a Twitter account where if someone's getting hate, you retweet a tweet asking for support and a bunch of other disabled people jump in and just send positivity their way. Um, yeah, so like they're all ideas, but it's, I, I think we, it, it stems back to like even movies. So um, I can't even remember the name. Is it You Before Me, where he becomes a paraplegic and he then decides that his life isn't worth living? It's that sort of rhetoric um, that leads to disability being viewed as tragic. And it means that when you, just live your life, your everyday life. People then assume that you must be faking it, that it's not real, that um, you get like accusations of being a scrounger, different things like that. And it's, um, yeah, that, it's that sad. Me because there's a documentary that you have been 
have the main watch for quite a long time, but and I've actually been trying to watch not that I did about two weeks ago. And I have to say, like, it really moved me a lot. And as uh, I'm sure you probably know the one I'm talking about, because I was talking about non stop on Facebook for a while, is Clipsam. That was just everything that needs to be seen, everything that needs to be watched, and everything that's more important needs to be heard and learned. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a great documentary and obviously it is based on the American Disabilities Act. So it's an American based documentary. It's American history. But um, in the UK, we had people who were chaining themselves to buses and to public transport generally and fighting for disability rights as well up to 25 years ago. And there's still disabled activists doing similar movements and, and things today. Um, so a lot of the history there overlaps with the um examples of civil disobedience but if you want to get a taste of it and maybe even just to understand more about medical and social models of disability and how disabled people um you know view disability that is a really good documentary to get you know an introduction to the topic yeah yeah but back to this individual as well like um i know twitter has been quite proactive in shutting down donald trump and a lot of his uh supporters and over the last uh, number of weeks, thankfully after the, the Capitol Hill attack. However, like myself, I reported this guy on Twitter last night, as well as on my personal account, but on my reaccess Twitter account, plus a lot of my friends and had come on and reported them too. But I checked there just before I logged on to the podcast edit this afternoon because I didn't block my YouTube because I just find it far more satisfying watching somebody shout into the void and not really nobody's looking. But I did take a wee look just to see what was happening to him. And he is still shouting at me almost 24 hours later. And Twitter has done nothing. Yeah, and so, I think that I think, the reporting system is, it's not as good as it could be. So, yes, they, they seem to be doing great work now with QCon uh, and stuff like that there. But... I think that's just because the pressure's on them and because nobody's looking at ableism and other things. It's just a game being forgotten about. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think we've really covered enough as well as now. But uh, we're going to stick to the theme of ableism for one more section. Uh, something that I have been watching, not so much watching, but binging recently on is Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. Have you watched Cobra Kai yourself? Uh, so I watched the recent season of it. I haven't really watched previous seasons, but the other half happens to be a fan of the show. And so when the new season came out, I decided to watch along after getting kind of a, a really quick recap. And um, there's a really interesting disability element to this season, which could have been good representation. Yeah, so that was one thing today was I was watching that. You saw me get quite vocal about it on social media to the point that it probably would have been but too much because the episode had just come out and I started talking about this topic. Uh, forgot about spoilers and all that tags. However, um, if anybody has been watching it up to date, up to now, you probably have seen in the first two seasons a young character called Miguel who joined Cobra Kai, you know, um, Johnny from the original film, from the original film was his sensei. But then he moved on to Chris, who was the big bad from the original film. However, at the end of the season two, there was a big fight in the school, and uh, Miguel got uh, kicked off from the top floor from a karate kick and landed on his back. 
and broke his back, broke his back, so he was damn disabled. And like many disabled people, I thought this is going to be a great art, a great story, you know, so often somebody might be able to be disabled, you know, and get our story across. However, it was always this little worrying voice. I hope they don't turn this into a trope, and I knew I wasn't the only one. And sadly, that's the avenue, that's the route they took. They turned it into a trope. So, because what happened was that uh, the first two episodes go great. He didn't wake up for a long time. He really, really struggled. And then all of a sudden, his foot started tapping at a concert because he forgot he was disabled. Mm-hmm. So, when he forgot he was disabled, he could move his foot. And I just thought, oh, God, well, if that's all they do, I will forget it. I will forgive it, forget about it, because, you know, sometimes that can happen, fair enough. But not always, and it's not common. However, the next episode, uh, uh, Johnny had a walk on the harness, standing, but holding on to him. And he kept falling down. But then the two of them got into a complete argument, and then Johnny realized he was holding him up. Miguel realized that he was standing on his own, and from then on, he started to walk, and he went back to the karate again. And the worst part is, which we spoke about as well, what did he do? He took his wheelchair, and he took his crutches, and dumped it in the skip outside. Never give it back to the hospital, never give it on to somebody who needed it. Let's just dump this vital equipment that is so useful for so many disabled people, because I don't need it anymore which is an also a horrendous trope to say to people, I'm able-bodied again. I don't need to be reminded of being disabled. Into the band that goes, and into the band that memories goes. Yeah, yeah, obviously, I'm getting quite angry talking about it now. But don't get me wrong, it doesn't take away my love from the overall series. But it was just a hard, hard pull to follow. And I think the fact that, you know, it's... It's the uh, the literal throwing of disability in the bin, as well as the fact that this is very expensive equipment that they're just tossing away. Um, but, you know, I think the other bit that kind of annoyed me is that um, they were kind of suggesting that his life wasn't great because he was disabled and that he could just will himself into not being disabled instead of just showing someone maybe making the best of the change of circumstances because they've acquired a disability and they are now disabled instead of maybe adapting the dojo or adapting their techniques um, because you know there's disabled fencing there's other disabled sports instead of doing any of that um, the entire like at one point um, they they sort of set fire to his laces in the hope that his legs will move and this will somehow encourage encourage him to to, to move um, and it kind of makes a bit of a joke out of the serious the serious injury that he has. And it's just, it could have been good reputation or reputation, reputation representation, but it, it just wasn't in the end. Um, and it was, it was very disappointing. Um, very disappointing and really frustrating. Now, when you uh, compared that to a film which came out not that long ago, I think maybe it might have been last year, called Fighting With My Family. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, it's a film um, with the rock on it about WWE about a, an English wrestler who went to America now there was, um, there was a minor character 
who had played and he wanted to be a wrestler as well back in England. So and this was only just sort of background scene. But the, the main wrestler back in that wrestling facility had worked with him and told him how he could become a wrestler when he would play. So he was still being a wrestler, but he wasn't coming in and right his disability. And I thought that was a lot more positive. And it was a strong message sent out to disabled people who want to do things like wrestling that they can't be done. Whereas with uh, Cobra K, they just took the wrong route. And it was just, not only was it the wrong route, but it was the wrong route to click of a finger. Suddenly he was, quote unquote, okay again. Yeah, and it was very sudden. It was suddenly I I'm able to to walk again and get up and about. And I just um, I mean, obviously, they showed some unorthodox techniques and maybe maybe we're missing some of the context. Maybe there was stuff that happened behind the scenes in in the show, as in not behind the scenes, but, you know, uh, stuff that theoretically was happening. And there was maybe a bit of a time jump or something. But really, I think this is a storyline that it got resolved very, very quickly. And it's not very realistic. And um, again, like, it's just disappointing. And it's the fact that um, also his disability was a learning tool for his sensei. Um, And you'll see this a lot when there's disabled characters. They don't exist just as a person who is disabled and just living their lives. They are the disabled character in the narrative from which other people can learn a lesson or become better people or be inspired by. And that's kind of what Miguel was was doing, um, unfortunately. Unfortunately, that happens too often. However, I don't know if you should call it if you've ever watched the program, uh, every day. Mm-hmm. There was a, a character in it called uh, Christian, and his name was, uh, he, he was portrayed by uh, a non-disabled actor because when he when he was, he joined the program, he was non-disabled. But um, Fluffy, you're probably too young to remember this episode, but I'm sure you probably remember the character. Um, do you remember the episode with an airplane crashed on Everdale Farm? Um, I do vaguely. It has been a while since I watched Emmerdale. Well, we're talking maybe 30 years ago. <laughs> probably, uh, yeah, I tell you what I'm talking about. <laughs> but uh, I played on so a lot of people, characters were killed off. And good. They were Chris, but it landed on He ended up in a wheelchair and he was disabled. Now, Chris was, uh, quote unquote, always a jerk and always self entitled in Emmerdale. Suddenly he became disabled. His character didn't change. He was still the same jerk, still the same character. And I thought that was great. But it was more important as well, because he was in the wheelchair, because of the horrific accident. For the rest of his, he lasted another five or six years, maybe longer in Emmerdale. He remained in that wheelchair. He didn't suddenly get a miracle cure or go off to America for a mystery operation and come back walking again. He remained in that wheelchair and he was still the same character he always was. And I thought that was positive. You know, just because he became disabled, he didn't become a nice guy, become just a positivity or just a, I've seen the light of my mm-hmm. my ways. He was still the same person. Um he didn't get a he didn't get a miracle cure. Yeah, I and think I think we need we need more more actual representation and this goes back like we've previously covered the idea of disabled people playing disabled characters um 
and I think sometimes because we have such bad representation on screen and such bad representation in the writing of these scripts that we need to have more disabled characters not only on screen being played by disabled people but disabled people actually in the writing room helping to write these scripts. Now today I've been, uh, been talking about on social media that last we went something I couldn't agree with by the way uh, that LGBT community need to be prepared on films and television programs and me all types of media by the by the people themselves and not by other characters. But what but what I have seen a lot of and you probably seen the, the same comment being put on underneath the posts as well was uh, oh you're just getting it bad that the disabled community wanting us. I think the thing though is there is a history of, of bad representation of marginalized groups. Um, and we do need to have more of those voices at the table. No, I totally agree because um, unless you've lived it yourself, you can't give an honest session, you can't give an honest narrative of what it's like to be that. I know some people say when you're acting, you know, that's your job to do that, but unless you actually know it deeper in yourself, you know, it's not going to happen either. And even after they said, well, my my brother or my sister is disabled, so I understand. Yes, you might have a, maybe a closer understanding, but you don't understand. Yeah, and I think uh, an example of this would be Sia's music video um, or movie called Music, in which um, Sia, who is disabled herself, researched autism and chose Autism Speaks as an organization to get their research from and then decided that they couldn't possibly hire autistic actors because it would just be too difficult for them even though that there were autistic actors who said that they would have been available at short notice and that the uh, National Autistic Society has used autistic actors in some of their productions before and when an autistic actor said I would have been available why didn't you cast an autistic person Sia suggested that maybe they just weren't cast because they were a bad actor. You know, I'm only reading that myself, like I'm totally horrified for what I read, but unfortunately, you know, in another example of just how ableism uh, is in society, and just because you're disabled yourself doesn't mean that you can't be an ableist, as Sia has shown herself. Yeah, and I think it's 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 something that like you kind of have to work on because sometimes we have internalized ableism within ourselves, and um, you know because we live in a a society that is ableist and has um, structures within it, and so it is possible just to have some internalized ableism that you just need to work out. And I think being aware of it is one of the first steps towards actually re- removing it from your life, or at least taking the first steps to doing that. Well, first I think we covered quite a bit about ableism today, so we're just going to take a little short break and we'll get back and we'll talk about a little bit what we've got up to over Christmas and what's been happening in our lives. So if you want to get that kettle on and maybe make yourself a hot chocolate, we'll see you after this short little break. Hello and welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that uh, hot chocolate and little trinket she's got there. Now we're just going to chat a little bit about Christmas and what we got up to and what we're going to be planning over the next few weeks. So, Felicity, uh, tell us a little bit about your Christmas. I hope it all went well. Uh, my Christmas was fairly uneventful. I had curry for Christmas dinner because the vegetarian meal I was supposed to get delivered 
was not vegetarian and the lift kept breaking down, which has been a running joke. But after breaking down repeatedly between Christmas and New Year, it then took them two weeks to get the spare parts to fix the the lift. So the lift is currently working, although for how long, I do not know. But um, yeah, Christmas was quiet, relatively uneventful. Um, I think the most eventful part was the lift. Um, so you probably had a more exciting version than me. Well, I wasn't up there having a lot on the bed buckle where uh, look up all it seemed to be a video, but you know, look that damn lift of yours. <laughs> but thankfully, my lift has been working okay, but uh, I totally have to say that I even myself because when I was stuck upstairs and not being able to be provided, it was quite the more lazy. You know, yeah. And you obviously when you're away from home and you've just got your partner there, it it can be a bit claustrophobic uh, and nothing else. Yeah, but, and uh, I think uh, it's it's the fact that you can't see family. Although I did do video calls, which were filled with um, you know, the occasional reference to the cameras the wrong way round, or the cat's in the way, or you need to move the cat. All I can see is the cat's butt. So uh, that was Christmas. Yeah, I think a lot of my. Uh, them calls were basically over Christmas was a lot of you make sure it turned on, you make sure it turned on, pull the camera down to it, all I can see is your forehead. I know was a lot of my conversations. But uh, no, my Christmas was quite good. Like I, I, I've always had quite Christmas anyway. Obviously, like I was going out for a few meals with friends and a few parties, but come the Christmas holidays, I would try to go quiet for a week or two before I start going back out. I wasn't even, never really would go away. Years as well, so in that respect, um, pretty much the same except that I didn't meet us, meet up with my friends and my brothers and sisters, which was always to me the main part of Christmas for me is with the brothers and sisters because good time to be all get together because we're off at the same time and you know, have a bit of crack, so that was a big must. But you know, maybe the second day we'll have a We'll have an Australian Christmas, you know, the sunshine, the barbecue or something. So that'll be something to look forward to. But my house would sort of be up and down over Christmas, the sense that they try my stomach pain and they've got a couple of head cold. So um, that way it was, I wouldn't say it was miserable, but it just wasn't pleasant. Never mind, just been in isolation, right? lockdown. It was sort of happened just that way. But I still enjoyed my Christmas today. Lovely, I know you're not going to love me for that, but uh, it wasn't a week, it wasn't a very day Christmas. It was uh, a week fast, so I apologize to you and all the vegans out there. I did try, but maybe next year. But uh, we'll get there, yeah. But uh, no, it was enjoyable and enjoyable. I had one, one drink over Christmas, which was my first drink since April, and I would never like a that bit knock all out of the way, but that one bottle of beer was enough to send me all woozy. So whenever I do start drinking again, uh, maybe half a bottle will do well in the future. <laughs> well, that's definitely more eventful than mine. My Christmas is a lot less eventful. Um, and yeah, generally, there just wasn't a lot of excitement. Um, if no, anything, it, Christmas it was- didn't feel very Christmassy. I'm just so good to like it was enjoyable and it was nice to have the dinner and it was nice to relax and not worry about having to do this and that and the other. It just didn't feel like Christmas. Yeah, 
there, I think when you're not, well, like I wasn't with family. So that's one reason why it didn't feel like Christmas. And we weren't doing all the usual sort of, you know, Christmas, um, Christmas festivities that we normally do when we're together. Um, so, you know, we might have like a late year Christmas. I just, I don't know. But um, this year, it definitely didn't feel very Christmassy at all. Um, but yeah, I did do though at New Year, I did do a 24 hour role play game marathon. And we did it over New Year so that we could celebrate the New Year in different time zones. And I celebrated like the New Year in America, on the different uh, coasts and in um, Eastern Europe, but just all over the place. We were doing, you know, uh, every sort of uh, time it changed to New Year in different time zones. Someone would take the Zoom that we were playing on and um, go out to their window so we could look at the fireworks. And we raised 1800 um, for charity from the combined um, online streams of the gameplay session. And there were multiple games. And <laughs> I was fading fast at about 5 a.m. UK time. Um, I was long in bed, sleeping but off stage. Yeah, you were sensible. <laughs> oh, that's the first time I've ever said that about me. But uh, so what else have you been up to outside the whole Christmas thing and that left of years? Honestly, that's... That's about it. I have not been doing a huge amount that's been very exciting. I did get back into Animal Crossing, though, but that's because my sister got the game at Christmas and I hadn't looked at my island in about seven months. So there was panic because I thought I was going to go back to an island covered in weeds, but it wasn't that bad. Um, And so occasionally I get to go and visit my sister's island, which is kind of like flying home to see the family, but not. Um, But yeah, like I literally haven't been up to anything that, that is that exciting. It's the role-playing game, fundraiser, um, and I would say Animal Crossing. But then yeah. we were doing Animal Crossing. Most people were doing it at the start of at the start of the first lockdown. So I, I'm just, you know, starting the new year as I started the last. Well, what I've done now is I, as I haven't really done a while. Lot. I'm still trying to get the, the post-Christmas motivation thing going again, uh, which I'm just about getting started. Started in a wee bit of work uh, last week, but I'll say it'll probably be last week before I'm back to the full momentum again. But one thing I did do, because you probably, uh, the last night will be aware of as well, that over the, the first, oh, what are we, really, months, 10 of lockdown, 313 mm-hmm. days, I've been involved in online activities and a couple of online courses. So my recent crack and egg course has come to the end recently, so I'm waiting for the results to come. But me being me, I don't like to sit still, which is kind of ironic because I'm still in the wheelchair most of the time. But uh, I have signed up to another course online as well on Zoom, which will be starting in uh, March time. But this one is a bit more fun, but more, well, the other courses are fun too, but but more uh, me in the sense. Um, this is like my first time talking about it, so it's great to see for the podcast. Uh, I've signed up to do a seven week course on how to be a stand up comedian. Oh, I remember you telling me about this. This sounds really fun. So it's going to be done by uh, a Scottish comedian called Merle O'Rourke, who is one of the writers for uh, Marty Boyle. So, what's uh, not everybody says, but I think he's quite good because you know he can be quite problematic in some of the things he says. But if you actually look into the context of what he says, you know, there's a lot of things we did there. So, but I always see myself as a 
rồi theo đấy là là đó 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 Yeah, and you know, I think sometimes comedy can be a really good way to do activism. So that could be definitely a new avenue. Um, you may see me on the I love Scott Hound, but Scott Hound and EOT was my new brand of submarine comedy. Oh, that would be great. I cannot wait to see this. You'll have to test out some of your new uh, skills on the podcast. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll give, me, give me a few months anyway, and we'll see what happens. But uh, I think that really ties the makeup with today. So, just one little thing I want to add as well. Uh, one of my friends from Waterford had put up a tweet a few weeks ago where she looked at her favorite podcast. Access all areas wasn't part of it. So, Jessica Flum, I would call you out there because you did say to me that you don't listen to any podcast that have less than a dozen episodes. So we now have a dozen, and I expect to see you on your top five last day in the next tweet out that you do. So, no pressure. <laughs> so, Jessica, I'll be watching this. Anyway, until the next time, whatever that might be, I hope you have a safe week, a happy week, and don't forget. Play a mask.